Please turn with me in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 19. We'll be reading the first eight verses, but before that, just a little bit of comment situating where we are. We started the second half of the book of Leviticus, which is chapter 17 through the end, chapter 27. And this really is a response to having been brought into God's house and and the way being made for God to live with his people, ending in that climax of the Day of Atonement. And so we had a bit of a, a bridging chapter on the place of sacrifices that covered everyday life, but also worship. And now these three next three chapters really are about holiness. And, and there's uh, it's, it's thematic. And so you'll see that 18 and 20 have a lot of parallels. And, and really the, the center that we're looking at right now is verses 1 through 8. This really could be a theme for this, the whole of the second part of the book. But I, I give you that introduction to know that we're going to be dealing with themes as we, we walk through 18, 19, and 20. So we're looking at the center this week, 19, and then we'll be looking at some themes in 18 and 20 and then go back to the, the end of 19, which is the, the positive aspects of holiness. So let us give careful attention to God's word, Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 through 8. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. When you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it or on the day after and anything left over until the third day shall be burned up with fire. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted. It will not be accepted. And anyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from his people. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Father, now as we come to your word and once again consider what would be impossible on our own, that we can be holy because you are holy. When we grasp a glimpse of who you are in your majesty, the radiance of your splendor, would you lift our minds upward right now to your presence? As, as we, we contemplate with, with words that fail, would you be glorified and would you work in us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'll begin with a personal statement, which is a bit of an illustration. It is an illustration. Uh, I love my wife. I love my wife. And if you lived in our house or if you were a fly on the wall, you would see me doing all kinds of things to show that I love my wife. About the honeydew list, the helping with the kids, some dummy dishes, maybe doing a little cooking. Um, every once in a while, very rarely, but sometimes giving her flowers, words of affirmation. It would be far from perfect. But I pray you would see that it's obvious that I love my wife. And if you ask me, why do you do these things? Well, I could answer because I'm her husband. That's what a good husband does. And I have this list that says this is the good husband list. And so I do these things. But a better answer, see, well, I promised myself to her. I love her. We've been through 16 years, many of them hard. She stuck with me through infertility and deployment and cancer. We have a history together. We belong to each other. 
till death do us part. And so what I do for Elizabeth and what she does for me comes from a place far deeper than duty, although there's a part of that. Right? We belong to each other, and so we live in such a way that draws us closer to each other. And it's the reality of the relationship that's, that's brought about by our promises and our past history that motivates our love today. Well, I begin with that illustration because marriage is a covenant. Right? It's for, a marriage covenant is a solemn binding agreement sealed with promises before God. And this ordinary picture of marriage and the covenant can help illustrate what's going on in our relationship with God and the holiness that is required. Holiness is not a word that's used often today. Sadly, it's not even in the vocabulary of many Christians, at least at a frequent word. And even when we do use it, it's often incomplete. Holiness might just mean, maybe more in the past, but it could just mean, when I think of holiness, I think of avoiding specific sins or taboos. Um, or maybe it's a list of what I do, my, my devotions, my, my spiritual disciplines, my acts of piety. Or, or maybe it's a certain view of spiritual times, places, or people. So, worship, the Lord's Supper, pastors, or the offices, missionaries. Now, some of these certainly capture part of holiness, but they, they all miss the central part, the central source, that your relationship with the Lord, as we see here, Yahweh, the covenant God of the Bible, defines holiness. The Lord says to Israel, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. He's talking about a special relationship, right? belonging to, to Yahweh. That, that name means that you devote your life to him. Holiness is not just a list of what you do, though you will be able to list things that you do. It's the pursuit of the Lord whom you love. And so tonight we're going to look mainly at verse number two, that key passage which sums up the whole part of the second book of Leviticus and see that the heart of the holiness, the heart of your holiness is the Lord your God. At the heart of your holiness is the Lord your God. And tonight I pray that the scripture, the the spirit fixes a, a desire for holiness in your heart. Perhaps it's simply sharpening it, a reminder to view yourself as holy and so to live that way. Maybe the Spirit will take this, this command for holiness and reawaken in your life something that was dormant, where you were saying, I was, I was passionately following the Lord sometime, but I've set that aside for a while. And I sense it as a call, once again, or perhaps even for the first time, understanding what it means to be a follower of Christ and to live that way. This understanding of holiness will have a direct impact on how you live out your Christian life on, on worship and discipleship and mission. They're, they're all fueled by your commitment to holiness. So let's go back and, and look at verse 2, which is at the heart of this passage. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. We're going to spend some time digging into this phrase. And note first, there's, there's a, some very specific grammar, the way that, that the Lord speaks to, to Moses, if you were going to translate this literally, it would say, Holy you be, for holy I, the Lord, your God, am. So you see the, the emphasis. If there's anything that you should get about that sentence, that holiness it is right up in front and center. There's two things that I want you to see from, from this verse about your holiness. First, that the Lord is your source of holiness. Now, we've talked before about what, what does it mean for God to be holy? When, 
when God appears to Isaiah in, in the temple and says, and the angels shout, holy, holy, holy. There's something, of course, about being morally pure. And of course, for God, that's perfection, that's blinding purity. There's, there's also a separateness which is not just set apart for us, but something completely different, as D.A. Carson might say, the godness of God, that his difference transcends us in every way. Those would be some of, our, some of his incommunicable attributes, right? God and his affinity is so great. There's a sense of his holiness. He is, he is completely greater and different than us. It's part of what it means for God to be holy. But, but there is a way in which holiness applies to us, too, that is communicable to you. Our, our theology, our theological terms, and and this communi- this this holiness for you is a reality that has a resulting action. Right? There's a reality with resulting action. You were set apart. You're special, and so live that way. It's the last time I can use my uniform for an illustration. So here we go. I wear this uniform. A week ago, I got a haircut. I shave. I used to keep in shape. Um, before cancer, there's certain ways I act, military customs, stand attention, salute. Does any of that make me a soldier? Hmm? No? No? Uh, 24 years ago, I raised my hand, swore an oath to my country, and the U.S. government declared me a soldier. And so now I act in a way that is fitting of a soldier. But a few months, maybe even, Lord willing, a few weeks from now, I'll receive retirement orders. And at that point, I can do all those things. I can wear this uniform, I can get a haircut, I can shave my beard, and it will not make me a soldier. I will cease to become a soldier. But in the meantime, I need to live in a way that's becoming with the reality of who I am. And you can see how this is also the case for us in our relationship with God. If God is morally blameless, then, then because you are part of him and, and because you're his and you're connected to him, then flowing out of your relationship with him will be this holiness. And so what I want you to see here then is that the Lord is your source of holiness. Holiness is not a self-improvement project that you, you don't reach deep down inside and conjure up a desire for holiness. You don't become holy by doing a few outward acts any more than a high and tight haircut makes me a soldier. When Isaiah sees the Lord in chapter 6 and, and the angels are crying, holy, 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 he doesn't say, oh, that's a good idea. I'll try to be holy too. No. no, he says, I'm done. I am a dead man. I'm destroyed. Until the Lord comes and, and he sears his lips and then he is set apart. And the incredible thing about this statement, be holy for I am holy, is that, that God in some way his holiness applies to us. Not as reflected, but we get to reflect God's source of, of holy splendor. And so first thing to realize is you're holy because God has made you holy. We'll talk about how you live out a holy life, but the beginning to remember is that God is your source, He's your identity, your, your strength. You can't do this without receiving that identity. So that's the first thing. The Lord is the, the goal, the source of your holiness. Second, it's He's the goal of your holiness. Your holiness is only possible and only meaningful because you belong to God. There is a strong relationship component here, which is why I started with the illustration of, of marriage. I want you to see the, the emphasis and repetition where he says, I am the Lord your God. It's a very striking phrase. 
If you read the Ten Commandments, both in Exodus and Deuteronomy, you'll see that. I am the Lord your God. You'll see a variation of it in Isaiah 43, where he says, when you walk through the waters, you will not drown. He talks about protect, for I am the Lord your God. It's, it's a strong statement of ownership and, and care and delight. From what I can tell of the about 40 times that that form, I am the Lord your God, appears in the Old Testament, 20 of them are in the second part of Leviticus, 17 to 27. Right? You, are, you are connected to me, you are related to me. In fact, if you would just say, I am the Lord, shorten it, 26 times in chapters 18 through 20. The Lord, God is doing something very specific here. He is using the covenant name. I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. He is making clear his relationship with Israel. It, in some ways, yeah. Definitely on a smaller scale, but it's kind of like the special names a husband and wife call each other. If you're married, you might have these, these pet names that, that you'll call each other. There's a, there's a certain dignity to the Lord's relationship, so it's not quite the same. But their point is that nobody else calls you that. But maybe your beloved does. And this is what the Lord's name is to Israel. I am the Lord. If you reveal it to Moses... It's the preface to the Ten Commandments. It reminds them of God's deliverance for them and His revealed will. This is a name given to no other people. And he's saying to Israel, remember, you belong to me. You are mine. And he hammers this relationship home with those next two words. I am the Lord, your God. And if you've been reading this far in Leviticus, this is quite incredible when you think about all the precautions needed to even allow Israel to approach God's glory. And now... God is reaching out and solidifying and, and reinforcing that this is a relationship that I want with you like no other. It's only possible when you know me. God promised to Abraham, I will be your God and you will be my people. And this, this shows you that holiness is more than a to-do than a to -do list. It starts with a special status. You belong to the Lord. You, you are set apart to the Lord. Holy things belong to the Lord and are made special. Let me read to you a couple verses from Exodus and Leviticus showing this. Exodus 28:36 is talking about the gold plate. It's the last, the, literally the crowning part of the high priest's um, a uniform, shall we say. There's this golden plate that's put on top of the turban. It says, you shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. Said this of the Sabbath. Exodus 28, 31-15, uh, rather. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Leviticus 27, 30 talks about uh, giving to the Lord. It says, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed or of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. We read in Leviticus 19, 8 about... The, the improper eating of, of the, the fellowship offerings, anyone who eats of it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord. Anything that's holy belongs to God. And this goes to God's people. Deuteronomy 7, 6 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. The logic of this is, if I am holy as God, and, and I am your God in this intimate and special way, then you too are to be holy. Right? The, the ultimate goal in Leviticus is so God says that you can be fit for my presence. 
And so what I want you to see here is there's a fundamental connection between you and the Lord and your holiness. God is the beginning and end uh, of your holiness. You, you serve a God who's broken into your world. He's, he's rescued you from bondage. I am the Lord your God. He's delivered you from your sin. He set you apart as holy so that you can live a holy life, so that you can experience fellowship with him in your presence, in his presence. The Lord your God is he's your source and your goal. He's the beginning and the end when it comes to holiness. I want you to see how radically this different this is from any other view of a relationship between God and man. It is not divine projection. In Sunday school, we've talked about how you listen to a Marx or a Nietzsche. It says, well, God is just human humanity's projection of the perfect man. It's just wish fulfillment, Freud would say. No, no, this is not man looking up and projecting. This is God coming down. Some might say, you know, deist, God's an aloof divine presence. The Buddhist, certainly not. Or it might be, you work your way up to God. That would be Jordan Peterson. Once again, no, God coming down. And, and even this, this avoids what you might simply call Christian do-gooding as well, or uh, holiness as moral self-improvement. It's not that either. There is a concern. Sometimes we can, in the Christian church, equate holiness simply with keeping God's law. And so it's a, it's a checklist that we check off, such as holiness is reading X amount of chapters in my Bible, praying for X amount of minutes. Or you can approach holiness like you would a, a New Year's resolution. Next year, by the time this year, I want to be fluent in Spanish. I want to run a, I don't know, 27-minute 5K or something like that. Okay, all well and good. But ask Why? What, what, what's the motivation? You can be doing all those things just simply to make a better you. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. In places, sometimes that can be admirable. But, but what is the ultimate goal of your holiness? Is it to level up as a Christian to feel good about yourself? Or is it because you belong to the Lord and you desire to live for him? Hmm. So why is it? Why is it? Is, am I doing Am I doing am I, Trying to be holiness because it's, it's good for me, um, kids, because I know that's what my parents want me to do? Or is it my deepest motivation because I know, I know the Lord and I want to know Him better? And so the Lord has to be the goal of your holiness, or we could call sanctification, the beginning and the end. Now this has implications for us that worship, discipleship, mission. We'll be looking at some of these as we go through the different um, passages Tonight we'll just talk about worship, holiness and worship. Um, worship is connected to holiness. Um, you know, when you, if your goal is to, to know the Lord, the Lord is your source of holiness and power. Scripture says you grow in your holiness when you spend time in his presence. And that's why even though Leviticus is going to have some, it does have some very detailed everyday life commands, it also spends much time talking about worship. We've already seen over and over again the sacrifices, yes, but we're going to see chapters and chapters on feasts. Over and over again it's going to talk about Sabbath. These laws for the fellowship meals, about when to eat and how to eat the meat, they keep popping up. There's... There's a repetition. Why is that? Because they're all pointing us to the time when we're in God's presence. And this is where we see him and we're changed. Think about how this type of holiness, or we could say sanctification, works. Change comes not as you notch yet another Sunday in your belt, but as you respond to the gospel-shaped order of worship 
that, that, that works the word into your heart. As James says, as you receive with meekness the word which is able to save your souls. Or in morning worship, change comes not just as you, you acclimate to getting better and better at reading large portions of scripture, but as you meet God in his word. As your heart glows with adoration, uh, or your conscience is pricked as you see God's truth and you repent. Now, of course, if you're anything like me, you say, well, there's a lot of times when I come to my God's word and it doesn't, it doesn't look like that. My heart is not glowing with adoration. Maybe it is just habit that's dragging me there. But then what do you do? You, you pray, Lord, would, would you soften my heart? Here I am. Take and, take and fill me up. Shape me. And I, I want you to see that God is the center of your holiness. You can never pursue a self-centered holiness. Holiness, apart from God, by definition, does not exist. Your covenant relationship with the Lord, that, that intimate desire of His to be with you, is the reason and goal to pursue this. Now you could object, well then, what, what does it matter what I do then? You say holiness is a relationship, Pastor Andrew, but doesn't it mean, doesn't it mean doing things as well? Isn't that what we read in Hebrews? Strive is a discipline? Absolutely. A covenant relationship demands that you love what God loves and you hate what he hates. And, and we will see that in chapters 18 and 19, that you are to flee idolatry and, and sexual immorality, especially, and pursue love for God and love for neighbor. But before you get there, what comes first is your covenant relationship with your God that drives your holiness. And so I ask you tonight, are you, are you holy? We're not talking about the definitive, the final sense, or, but have you been bought by Jesus? Do you, do you know that you are set apart and do you see yourselves as belonging to him? The Apostle Paul has this mindset when he says in Galatians 2, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is that reality of, of what it means that you belong to Jesus as a new creation, uh, made to reflect your Lord with ever-increasing glory, is, it, is that fixed in your mind? That as you go out this week, the Father and the Son have sent the, Son have spent the, sent the Spirit and he lives inside of you, he dwells in you. Is this your paradigm? Is this your, your way of thinking? Your reason? If, if you go out then and you say, okay, I want to serve the Lord, not because I, I have to or I must, but because I know I belong to Jesus and I am His. That's an entirely different way of living, even if it looks the same. As you serve and obey Him, make your first goal to please Him. And so as you go out this week, ground your pursuit in holiness and the only anchor that you have, that the God of the universe says to you, be holy, because I, Lord, your God. Please pray with me. Father, once again, we, when we stare at your perfection, we know outside of Christ you fall short. But here we see the, the gospel looking forward to Christ in, in its full splendor. And so we come amazed. We ask that you would 
shape and sharpen and, and refresh and, and, and re- revive our understanding of what it means to be yours. That this week, it would be stamped in our minds and our hearts, flowing out to our hands and, and feet in the way that we interact with this world. Thank you that we are not left to our own to, to clean ourselves up or to pull ourselves up, but we have the Spirit from whom all source of life and holiness flows. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.